Welcome back to the Vitamin SC3 podcast. This show is powered by the Sickle Cell Community Consortium and features weekly themes to educate and inspire sickle cell patients, their families, supporters, healthcare workers, and allies. Today's episode is part two of the conversation we started last week with Dr. Marjorie Anayula. You're tuning in to the mental health segment called Self-Care is Healthcare. Remember, the information shared on the Vitamin SC3 podcast is for informational or educational purposes only and does not substitute professional medical advice or consultations with your healthcare provider. Please enjoy the episode and tell a friend. To become a member of the Sickle Cell Community Consortium, visit SickleCellConsortium.org. The Sickle Cell Consortium is a collaborative designed a little bit like the United Nations in theory, so that we can bring together many organizations for sickle cell throughout the country and now throughout the world, as well as um, independent patient caregiver leaders, opinion leaders, advocates, those that are active in this space. And our goal is, what we've always done, is bring our community together so that we can create projects, priorities, initiatives. We can figure out what are the problems, needs, and gaps in the sickle cell community, and then figure out how we're going to collectively address this. What are you doing currently? Uh, what does your healthcare, um, mental health care management plan look like for you? Yes. So... I had to let go of shame of taking full responsibility for everything that's happened to me. Um, Had to let go of control, of having to control every little thing, every little trauma, every little pain, every little um, interaction. Um, Going back to being responsible for myself, there was a point where I realized that I was just not happy with myself in terms of mental health. And it was very like emphasized in college. Um, College has not been the best experience. We thank God for making it through, but my first year, my first year of college, I was in the hospital basically every month of the school year. Um, It actually started at orientation. So I was hospitalized um, at my like freshman year orientation But freshman year, I just felt like I was gliding. Like, I didn't really feel like I was intentional now. So eventually when depression hit me severely and I couldn't, like, go to class, there would be weekends that it would just come and go. I wouldn't go outside. It would be harder to interact with people. Mm -hmm. Um, I sought out counseling at my school. But I also have this very amazing aunt that saw it in me ahead of time that something was going on. So that was very like help like very helpful with getting the services. Um I started counseling services at my university and then um eventually they had like only a set a number of set of sessions and then Yes, I had to. I talked to my caseworker at um, Children's Hospital Voorhees at the at the time mm-hmm. about um, 
you know, insurance and all of that. I talked to my hematologist at the time about, like, I think I have anxiety disorder. I don't know what's going on. And there was a therapist that was there that has seen other sickle cell patients. So um, basically, my journey for, like, counseling started, like, 2018. Now I have a really good team of a psychiatrist and a therapist that aren't just like connected to my universities. They're, um, I meet with them like weekly, you know, bi-weekly. Um, I had to not be afraid of being vulnerable and not be afraid of being honest with myself about being unhappy and like Mm -hmm. realizing no matter how honest I am about sickle cell and no matter how happy I am about advocating about this disease, I was having a lot of insecurities around it. Um, Insecurities and friendships and relationships with myself, with school, Um, not thinking that I'm enough just because of my own health, even though, you know, me, I never stay without something on my plate. (laughs) Right. Right. So, I always feel like I have to overcompensate for my health. I don't feel like that anymore. More so now, if I have too many things on my plate, I crash. Rather than before, I would be trying to get everything on my plate, (laughs) full plate, (laughs) and nothing left, but um, nothing left for myself. But now, I... I'm very honest with my um, therapist and my psychiatrist about my mental health, but I also integrate my hematologist and my PCP, my um, physician. So whatever I talk about with my hematologist, I tell my therapist and my psychiatrist, whatever I talk about with them, I tell my hematologist. So am I, it's like a, it's like a circle of all of these people are in my network and they know what's going on. And I'm so grateful for the psychiatrist I have because She not only understands me, she's also from my culture, but also she never forced me to like start a medication or forced any diagnosis on me. Instead, she was like, we have to get you genetic testing because I was on an antidepressant before that had like an adverse effect. So she wanted to make sure that wouldn't happen again. After getting the genetic testing, started a new medication. Um, which has been very good for my mental health in terms of ADHD. And then I'm on a new antidepressant now um, for a different diagnosis um, for depression and symptoms with PMDD, which is like severe PMS. Um, So with having sickle cell, patients are like, 10 times if I'm not mistaken isn't it like four to five or 10 times more likely to have um, mental health concerns as well I want to get the numbers correctly individuals with chronic illnesses just overall you're absolutely right that yes Yes. they they don't they are at an increase yes yes likelihood of having some yes so having having sickle cell alone can feel like a burden or feel overwhelming. And then when you put mental health concerns on top of that, you might feel like you're going over the top. But the thing Mm -hmm. with that is you have to be honest with yourself at when your mental health is triggering a crisis 
or when the crisis is triggering your mental health. And a lot of times, instead of that being a circle, it's a Venn diagram of Mm -hmm. this triggers this or this, you know. And thankfully, a lot of the healthcare practitioners that I've met, that I've had one-on-one with, they've more so realized that my health is an underlying emphasis for my mental health. So there will be times in the month where, um, like, when I was younger, sickle cell crisis, I'm on my period. On my period, I go to hospital, you know, just after my period, sickle cell crisis. And when I was realizing that, I had to be proactive with my mental health with that trigger and my mm-hmm. physical health. So for me, I have a healthcare regimen for my period, for mental health days in general. I have a I have a regimen for nighttime as well. So on mm-hmm. harder days, um, my my partner got me a massage gun for my birthday. So I use that for my feet because that is like a a lot of where my pain can be stored sometimes. So I'll massage my feet. My tea will be done. I'll have my favorite show on or I'll have like my favorite song on. I'll wind down. And by the time I'm done massaging my, my feet or body part, I'm already asleep. And then the next day I wake up refreshed, you know, um, write down my thoughts. You have to make sure that you have a schedule for yourself in terms of um, mm-hmm. your mental health and your physical health. And of course, every day can't be exactly what you want it to be. But if as long as you have structure, structure is very big yes. for chronic illness. So for me, what really helped me this past school year, which I believe has been my bulkiest school year, but has been one of the best that I was able to c- catch up with because I have an alarm for everything. I have an alarm for when to leave to class. I have an alarm for when it's the middle of the day and I have to wake up for a nap, even if I'm already not sleeping. I have an alarm right. to go to this meeting. I have an alarm for that. I have an alarm for medication. I have an right. app for my for my period. Write down all these thoughts, right? That you have to you have to keep your keep yourself accountable. And even yeah. if even if you're not using it in that moment, you don't know when there might be an emergency situation where you don't even remember what yeah. the amount of medication you took or when's the last time you've uh, taken this water or you're just in so much pain you can't speak. So the f- quickest thing you can do is go to your phone and right. have all this recorded information yes. of how your month has been. So that has helped me as well stabilizing my mental health also not isolating myself being very vocal and open with a specific support team when there's worse mental health days because you have to be aware of the people that you know you can go to um in those moments not just any any friend and you know some of your friends can be overwhelmed as well or family members or such so you have to know when's the right time to speak up before Mm -hmm. you feel isolated or before a major crisis comes on before you have too much on your plate to keep going. Um, So communication is another huge thing with dealing with your mental health as well, because we all have like bad mental health days, but if it's imposing on your daily life, that's when you really need to look for help and look for service providers that can be on your team and want the best for you. 
You said so many amazing things and, and you, I connect with you on so many of the different points, but um, I think the, the biggest take home message maybe for our audience and, and Ayola shared this or her silence shared this is that it didn't happen overnight. She's built this over a time frame, right? And she's kind of built it and found what works well for her and and what her regimen needs to be um, bes- between the tea and the massage gun on her feet and putting on her favorite show. She showed us, you know, really from the large things that may be most important, which is going to her counselor, her psychiatrist, and the meds that she's on even, but down to the simplest things, which is making sure, you know, maybe that she has something to write down and record and that her phone is there so she knows she has that companion or her partner is there to get her the things that she needs. But having those things in place and building what's her personal rhythm, right? Her blueprint has helped her manage um, her mental health and her wellness. And and I love how you kind of reference, you have kind of a community within a community within a community. Yes. And that this is your elected family, right? These individuals, there's a dance, as you say, it's kind of like a Venn diagram on what leads to what, but there's also the dance of all the players within right. that care family that now it seems like you, um, you're the, you're orchestrating, you're the conductor, right? And you're able to orchestrate them so that they play that just right symphony when you need it the most. And that takes dedication. And so I just want to commend you and applaud you for, for putting that time in and, and doing the work because it requires work. Um, it requires Thank compassion you. for yourself. It requires such vulnerability to be able to really look in and, and allow yourself to be open to so many things with that fear, but do it anyway. And, and ooh, that is just so powerful um, in itself. It's to be scared, but to do it anyway, that anyway, is, yes. is the ultimate. Um, have you felt, cause you started by saying sometimes when you crash, have you, you know, you crash and you have to rebuild from that. Have you felt that having this, you know, this kind of paradigm that you've set up has helped you crash less or be better prepared and seeing when a potential crash is coming and be able to avert it. Can you speak to that a little bit? Oh, absolutely. Because I'm able to know when my mental health starts to like dwindle, I write it down immediately. I start speaking up. I start saying, um, telling my therapist more like, okay, I need more support in this way. Or I tell a friend or my partner, I need more support in this way. Absolutely. Like speaking up more and taking accountability more has definitely lessened the intensity of sickle cell crises or when they even occur and having Mm -hmm. a like a steady regimen for yourself that's the thing the body just wants structure the mind just wants structure so if you at least give yourself that you can have a little leeway on times that are rougher to at least like have a backup plan for your schedule so if you know that okay, this day that is approaching is going to be a more stressful day, maybe because of the weather or maybe because right. you're going to be more busy that day, you know right. um, more tea 
more hydration, mm. more massage, mm-hmm. more sleep, more mm-hmm. um, interactions with people, telling somebody close to you, like, I need more help. Like, instead of, like, just doing it all by yourself. And that is so yeah. important. And I can see it reflected in your life because I've known you for so long. The output, I mean, that's how we measure how yes. good our life is at times, right? What that quality of life is. When, But you and I sometimes know that just to have a beautiful day, that you have peace, is the ultimate um, output. But when I look at your life in the past five years and I compare that to the life five years before that, it is like night and day. You are always radiating now where before, you know, there were a little more stormy days and I was always looking for those sun rays. They were there, but now (laughs) your sun rays just smack me in the face and I'm all for it. I mean, it's a party when we're together, but it's so, it warms my heart. To, to see you present in yourself now and to know mm-hmm. all the things that you've been able to put in place in order to develop those things for you because you were the center and you've really galvanized all of this stuff. You put all that energy into it and you, you quote unquote made it happen. It, it's just amazing to see that. Um, another thing you referenced, which I think is important to kind of talk about is the role that um, your culture has played and, mm-hmm. and because that is important and you identify with it. And, and, and I think that affects all of our stories because it makes it a right. little different. So how has, so there are three points that I think I'd like you to touch upon. One, you reference that you're, you're not from Nigeria. You were not born here. So you were born then you immigrated here and your culture is different. Then you have to learn the things that are different here. How do you think those three factors, um, I think make you, make us all special, but yes. how have they made your journey Um, Along the process of, it's two processes now, we're talking about your art and as it relates to the disease process, how do you think those things influenced or made that journey different for you? Okay. So, okay. I know. Deep breath. That's another (laughs) thing her her and I do all the time. We We can take a moment. Let's just take a breath right here. Let's just take a breath right here. Center yourself. Let me let me let that settle because you just shared so many good things. And I yeah. want you to take all that in in the inhale. Give your moment to just give your moment to just release through the exhale. And I hope the audience is doing that with us too as we jump into this next question. All right. Okay. So now that we've recentered, go. So my culture is extremely important to me. I think I wouldn't be who I am today or what I believe today or how passionate and how hardworking I am without my culture and my parents and literally how they were raised. Because Nigeria... Nigeria has such an interesting background, which is something that I also want to write more about and research more about, because I always remind people that my father is older than Nigeria, like the actual independence. Like, And yes. I'm not even saying it as a joke. I'm saying it as telling people, you have to remember, most of our parents come from war-torn cultures. Yes. Most of our parents know nothing but war, know nothing but survival, nor nothing but pain, but joy comes in the morning. That's Mm. all they know. And that's all they remember. And that's all they carry on their backs to these countries. So 
having that dichotomy of understanding your parents' lineage and understanding your ancestral trauma and also understanding how intergenerationally it affects you is important to your healing process. Because I understand that sickle cell is something that has been silenced in my family, I'm Mm -hmm. not going to do that to myself. I'm not going to be the next person in my family not to talk about it, not to understand it. And it's not that my dad didn't know or his family, people in his family didn't know or didn't hear about the disease. As a Nigerian, we have one of the highest populations of sickle cell births in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Most Nigerians you come into contact with will know what sickle cell is. Will know somebody in their family have experienced a death with sickle cell. In Nigeria, the culture is even. We have terms Ogbanje spirits um, that relates. I think that's Igbo relates to a child being born that's meant to die. You know, mm-hmm. and a lot of and a lot of even in like Ghanaian cultures, there's another like um, term for. A child born with sickle cell and the expectation is this person is going to take money from the family. This person is just going to make the family cry. And because I know that is a big aspect of my culture, even though Nigeria does have a lot of organizations, does have people organizing and advocating and bringing awareness, not just myself, but within the diaspora within the continent without like outside of the continent even though these things are very like prevalent we have such a major population where we still have to talk about it in a very vulnerable way mm-hmm. growing up in nigeria where the major thing is survival you're not even thinking of your health and nigerians are just praying for the okay this is a this is a term for when you're sick my mom will never say she's sick. My mom will never tell somebody I'm sick. She'll just say Ayola is strong. Right. That's something that's something that you'll hear Nigerians say. They won't say I'm sick. They'll say I I'm being strong. But that right. means that you're going through it. <laughs> if you meet any Nigerian, that means that you're going through yes. it. But because yes, the culture they are. <laughs> Yes. But because the culture is so like we have to be careful of what we say. We have to be careful of how we convey yes. ourselves. We have to be c- careful of how mm. we portray ourselves. Sickle cell is not something that is talked about enough. No. And because of that, that affects the relationship with parents. That affects the yes. relationship with culture. That affects the relationship with identity, with spiritual um, understanding. Especially... Yes. With when people don't know what sickle cell is and they have a spiritual understanding of God is the ultimate healer, they're not going to understand that God knew. <laughs> God knew yes. I was going to have sickle cell. <laughs> he knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. God knew and has a plan for my yes. life. Yes. And you have to know a difference between not everything is culture is correct. I saw I saw a tweet before that tradition is just getting bullied by dead people, which in yeah. a way uh, it, is. <laughs> it is right. I've, I it saw is. that quote too. Yes, because we can change tradition, but somehow we feel like we're we're stuck in it. We have to do it. But you're absolutely right. It, it yes. is a way that the, our ancestors, the dead people, quote unquote, are bullying us. And that's yes. a, that's a good way to put it. Yes. yes. So part of my capstone project was 
putting the narrative on the history of sickle cell in terms of my ancestry. And I remember writing about, um, I always think about the Atlantic slave trade, the immigration my parents went through, um, my life, my grandparents' life of these people did not know they had sickle cell. They went through all of this. They thought their bodies were demons. And Mm -hmm. I am alive today to prove that we are not. I'm alive today to tell the story of the people that did not know the type of pain they endured. Oh, my goodness. And I always feel like a mouthpiece for the Nigerian daughter experience, for the Nigerian child experience, the Nigerian artist experience, the Nigerian with sickle cell experience, because it's such a specific experience to Nigeria. We have a lot of political upheaval where sickle cell hasn't been prioritized because we're just trying to be a nation. We're just trying to survive. Yes. We're just trying to focus on living to the next day. Yes. So anything else is second class. It's secondary. And that's very similar. Yep. And and the story about Haiti with this, even though it's one of the first countries that were independent, liberated, right. The country was used and abused and it's still was held in the clutches of another dictatorship, so to speak. So you're yes. right. The nation was so worried about just finding its identity and being independent that everything else was secondary. Yes. Yes. And the thing and the thing about Nigerian excellence, if if, if you meet a Nigerian, they're yes. the exceptional rule. And Nigerians love being the exceptional rule wherever we are. We yes. love showing our intelligence. We love showing how successful we are. We love showing off. And this can be a huge factor that plays in the reality of pain and the reality of trying to there's a, there's another poem I want to write about um, what will people say and you know this is such a mm-hmm. big thing in our culture of what will people yes. say if you yes. if you if you can't let people know you have sickle cell you can't do, 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 what will people say and that's the yes. biggest thing I yes. rather speak about sickle cell and live than be silent and die and that's that's mm. the motto that's ever since I've accepted that no matter whoever it is from my culture, family, yes. no matter who, who makes it, whoever's uncomfortable by me speaking about sickle cell, that is their problem. That is their discomfort that they need to take up with God because I understand my purpose. And because I keep on leaning into my purpose, there are going to be more opportunities for people in my culture to talk about these things. Do you know how powerful it is for somebody younger than you to come up to you and actually ask who you are to ask your story because you both have sickle cell because you're also a black girl because they also see a future of being able to still stay alive with their pain and still keep going and that's what makes me excited and knowing other nigerian authors poets Black women, African women talk about the pain and suffering of being a Black woman. I know that the future is at least brighter for something Mm -hmm. to be better. If we don't talk about it, that's when the problems keep occurring. If we don't bring to highlight these issues, 
they're not going to be fixed. They're going to be tucked under the rug. They're going to be another prayer sent to God yes. that God is already telling us. God, God speaks in a way of action. God yes. wants action. Yes. You can't yes. keep praying for new things, new treatments. No, let this disease end and we're not putting in right. action. We have to be no, the no, ones no. to do the work. He is an actionable God. He leads you in the right direction, but he expects you to do the work. That exactly. is so true. That exactly. is so true. Exactly. Yes. So who am I to have to be gifted all this talent, all this audacity in my voice, in my breath, in my words, to be gifted to not all share this power? It. Yes. I know, right? We can't let that happen. Like, and that is why you are the poet and artist that you are today. Because <laughs> you came to that. Re- you woke up one morning and was like, I woke up like this for exactly. a reason. Exactly. Yes. And exactly. you're like, okay, let's run with it. Exactly. And I love that. You know, I want that aha moment for everyone because I had it too. It was like one day I woke up and I was like, Oh God, that's what you were trying to tell me? That's what I'm made for? Okay, we got this. Let's go. Let's go. We're going to make this happen. It comes (laughs) at different times for everyone. (laughs) I love that you had yours and I'm loving the journey that we're on. So I have about two or three more questions because you 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 and I can go on forever. Yes, we can. Here we go. Uh, You kind of said the answer to this, but I want you to kind of um, encapsulate it for us uh, maybe in a nugget is how, what is your hope of how your your specific form of what is, was your therapy and now is your art form and your expression of yourself, your poetry and your art. How would you like that to impact the sickle cell landscape? As we look at sickle cell disease as a whole, what would you like that to do for the landscape? Oh my God, you guys, if you see her, she's clapping. I see her nails, they're all good. Her face just lit up and she's leaning in. All right, go ahead, tell me, tell me. I just want to write about the stories of individuals living with sickle cell. I want not to just write about experiences within the hospital, but daily life. Like what, who are you outside of your disease? Yes. What power do you hold internally? And I want to help people find that and boost their creative morale in a sense with that, because a lot of times we think that an artist looks a specific way instead of seeing all of ourselves in artistry and not just painting, but writing, knitting, cooking. Mm -hmm. There's so much artistry within the kitchen. There's so much, there's so much creativity within motherhood, within fatherhood, within being a doctor, within, um, different avenues of just having sickle cell. And I want to write about that, but I also want to highlight it. I want to draw it. I want to speak about it. I want to host workshops and um, guide people through uh, art catharsis um, and narrative workshops. I want to write about narrative medicine. I want to focus on patient-based care, the individual-based care. And through that, I want to help people also find their voice um, and also highlight how they're trying to survive outside of their disease. Okay, great. So um, that's, that's a gorgeous answer, which leads me into my next, which will be the last longer question. And then now we're going to have some quick fire, quick questions. So the second part of her bio, you guys, I'm going to read to read it because I wanted to lead into my last and final question, which actually her silence just mentioned a little bit at the end of this last um, answer she gave us. 
Um, so it's going to lead into narrative medicine, which I know is in her future. Um, and that's a specific discipline of medicine and science that she is going to go into. So in her bio, yes. she says her silence is a published poet, which she is, you guys, she's published. It's amazing. I've seen her perform. She's amazing. And hopefully her and I will perform <laughs> together at a couple of venues yes. coming up because I consider myself a poet also. So we always do word battles and poetry battles. Yes, see we us. Do. But anyway, that's a, that's a whole other ball game. But um, her silence is a published poet that was born from the trauma of complacency. I chose her silence as my poet's name because she speaks from a place of solitude. I am a prolific artist, poet, singer, writer, and overall creative who centers healing and sickle cell advocacy within my differing creative mediums. My experiences as a Nigerian first daughter fuel my art which has been instrumental in my growth as a creative. Adike Ade or AA are my art tags, which bears the same name as my art business. Aduke means a daughter we have, we love to cherish, pamper, and Ade relates to royalty, the crown. Ooh, I love that. My goal is to find creative autonomy in my holistic mediums as an art therapist with a specialty in narrative medicine. So with that, tell us where you're going with the art therapy and narrative medicine, please, in this conversation. So what do you want to know exactly? Whatever comes to your heart first, whatever came to your heart first when I asked that, that's what I want the audience to know because that gives me, okay. that gives them a glimpse into you. Okay. So I didn't initially choose to become an art therapist for as long as you've known me, especially, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to go to med school. I'm going to be yes. a hematologist, which I yes. still will be a hematologist, but a hematologist in a different way. And I understood that my passion for medicine does not have to be through med school, um, especially since my creative process with medicine is a bit different. So once I accepted my talents, um, a lot of people in my life had to tell me that I was running away from my talents, <laughs> including my doctor mentor. <laughs> a lot of people told me you have to accept your talents. Yes. Yes. Just like so, you, we sit in our pain, we have to sit in our talents. We have to just yes. know this is what I was, I was kind of bred for. And you finally got it. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. <laughs> yes, but yes, when I finally got it, I realized that the world opened up for me in a huge way. So I can't exactly remember how I stumbled upon becoming an art therapist. It actually stumbled into my lap. So mm -hmm. something that I know for myself, anytime my ancestors are speaking to me or God is really blessing me, there are just things that I see through social media because that's how I um, advocate and that's how I get my poetry out. So I saw an ad for a school, a holistic school with a master's in art therapy. Um, and I can have a concentration in human sexuality, childhood trauma, um, rejuvenation care, etc. So as soon as I saw the program, I'm like, 
this looks exactly like what I wanted. But because I'm very grateful to everything that comes to me, I still look for more. So I'm not somebody that likes to like go for this first option because I realize that's not always the best circumstance. So <laughs> another option, <laughs> another option um, for a master's program is narrative medicine, which Dr. has mentioned to me. But the thing is, you know me, I love my education. I have accepted that. I will probably do both programs um, (laughs) when the time is right. But the plan is to start my master's, most likely the end of next year. That's awesome. The beautiful part is the the realization that you are the author of your own story. So you can write it in any way that you see fit. And we uh, will be along with you uh, for the ride. I love that. Thank, Thank you. you for sharing all the amazing things about poetry and your art and your journey, realization, mental health, your wellness. It's just so many wonderful, wonderful things um, that you've shared with us today and given us a little bit of a peek into who her silence is and getting to know you and calling you by your poet name is just so amazing. And I can't wait for people to see your artwork as we posted and enjoy some of your performances and see you in the future. If someone were interested in exploring poetry and knowing their narrative and art as means of therapy, how would you suggest that they start? Don't limit yourself. Don't limit yourself. I definitely started like watching button poetry and all those poetry channels on YouTube. You will really find a lot of people speaking to you more than you know, even if it's a poem that that's like titled peanut butter. You <laughs> you never you never realize how powerful something is until you just like are open to it. Another thing is back to community. Um, go within your community, do some events, try to perform at like an open mic, um, find some art organizations or, you know, volunteer, um, volunteer to, you know, do a workshop or, you know, just find time for yourself, go to a park, a quiet place, anywhere, the library and do some intentional poetry reading, do some intentional writing, um, there's always going to be like guided painting and guided poetry online. So that always works. Um, Another thing is like, I always encourage anyone to just publish their work, even if you're a novice, even if you think it's not um, going to get like published or accepted, just try. You never know how your words move somebody else. Also don't be afraid to share your writing in that, along with helping other poets edit has like built a lot of like community work for me. Oh, awesome. Awesome advice. Um, All right. Some quick fire questions. What's your favorite color? Purple. (laughs) Me too. Anyway, um, (laughs) mine's has changed though. And and it is, it is now purple though, for sure. What's your favorite food? You guys, she's also a chef. She's also a cook and her and I do the cooking battle behind the scenes too. 
Favorite food? Wow. Favorite food. Uh, yes. I love French fries. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> okay. I'll take it. Your favorite song. You can have more than one if you favorite need to. Favorite song. Ooh. Okay. I love this song, Chronics, I Can. Okay. Yes. Ooh. Wow. Favorite movie? Favorite movie. Um, I have two favorite movies, Matilda, and there's another horse movie that I like called uh, Spirit. I've seen <laughs> both of them. They're yes. very good. Yes, they yes. Are. I love the soundtrack in the Spirit movie. The Spirit is amazing. Yes, agreed. Mm-hmm. The soundtrack is pretty awesome. Um, favorite poet? Favorite poet. I have a few. Uh, I love Langston Hughes. Um, I also adore Yakari Gabriel. Um, mm. She's a poet and astrologer. I love Ijeoma. I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but she is a prolific writer. She created questions for Ada um, and myself, of course. <laughs> yes, of, of course, of course. <laughs> Uh, if you had to pick your favorite form of art, because I know you do a lot of different ones, but if you had to pick your favorite form of art, what would it be? Honestly, I think dance. So dance, I can totally see dance being your favorite form of art. That's awesome. So as we bring our wonderful conversation to a close, we thank you for sharing and all the art that you've already shared with the world and that you'll continue to share. But on the special World Sickle Cell Day, if you had to leave the audience with maybe your favorite quote or your most powerful saying or something that you always carry with yourself, what would you leave the audience with? (sighs) Plan for right now, not for the rest of your life. Plan for right now, not the rest of your life. I'm not going to add to that because I think it speaks for itself. Her silence, if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to see your art, if they want to see where you're going to perform next, what's the best way to get in touch with you? So I'm still coming out with a website. Just be patient with me. But for now, I have a social media page, Art by IO, Arts by underscore A-Y-O. Thank you so much for sharing that. And you guys, again, this was her silence. We are coming to you on World Sickle Cell Day. We're both so happy to have this conversation with all of you that are listening. And her silence, we look forward to hearing from you again in the future and seeing what your journey brings us. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love this opportunity and I love what you're doing. I love you so much and I'm so honored to be here. You make my heart super happy. (laughs) I hope this episode inspired you. Please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And remember to tune in again next week for an all new show.